This is the Thank You 72 podcast, brought to you by the Wisconsin Alumni Association. This podcast salutes outstanding Badgers from Wisconsin's 72 counties. Here's your host, Todd Pritchard. Thank you, Iowa County, for Chuck Helverson. Chuck is one of the oldest living University of Wisconsin football letter winners. He played tight end, making the varsity team in 1949, and he has remained a fan for six decades. But this is not just a story about a football player. It's the story of a man who overcame poverty and tremendous odds to follow his dream and become a Badger. Chuck then served his country in World War II and went on to start a successful business. Chuck recently turned 95 years old. His daughter Renee has lovingly captured Chuck's life story and legacy in a new book, Running Country Roads and Life Lessons Learned. Chuck Halverson and Renee Halverson Wright join us on the podcast. First of all, Chuck, congratulations and happy 95th birthday. And I thank you very much for helping me to celebrate it. We are here to celebrate this, and we're so glad you could make it to the podcast today. Uh, I'd like to talk about your life, Chuck. You were born on Saturday, September 20th, 1924. You were the 12th of 17 children, 11 boys and 6 girls. First of all, tell us about your life growing up. Maybe you could start with your mom and dad, um, Claire and Henry. Tell, tell us about them. Well, my, my, my dad was a very hard worker, and uh, uh, he used to travel around. He was, had the farm, of course. But he also worked in the Singer Lumber uh, Mine. That was in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. And, he, and we lived in Jonesdale, which was 11 miles away. But my dad, he would walk the railroad tracks to work in the mine and walk back home at night, 11 miles. Walking 11 miles to work seems just unbelievable. I mean, that's crazy. He had to, though, right? He had to get to the mine, and that's how he made his living, right? That's how he made his living, and that's, uh, that's how he fed 17 kids in the family. And so your mom, tell us about her. My mom was uh, a hard worker also, and she was, uh, everybody envied my mother. She was so, so kind and, and uh, nice to everybody. You and your family did not have it easy growing up. You moved from farm to farm. Some of the places you lived didn't even have electricity and running water. And you worked the land, uh, you grew enough food to survive through the Depression. Tell us about your memories of, of that time and what it was like growing up. I can remember when all of us boys worked. We didn't. We we hunted hunted for the fox and we trapped for for mink, and, and sold the hides, anything to make money. And we'd go around the neighbors along the Picatonic River, and ask the farmers that lived along the river if it was okay if we trapped her along the way. I'd walk behind one horse cultivators culling. When we'd put the crops in, we'd be plowing for the to put the crops in, like corn and oats and all that stuff. And I was walking behind a one-horse cultivator, uh, six, seven hours a day at least, uh, uh, to you know to plow and get ready for it. Then when the, when the crops grew up, then we harvested them and we had big crew thrashing crews that would come in. All the neighbors would come in and they'd help us. Uh, harvest our crops. We have traded help back and forth that way. We had some really great people that lived in that neighborhood that we all worked together. Working didn't, didn't bother me. I, I, I was 
proud to do that. And, and when I was little, I wanted to be the best at anything I could do. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to be better than I was <laughs> or to do anything better than I could do it. And I was constantly competing even with my brothers who were four and five years older <laughs> to, to prove to them I could do as much as they could do. <laughs> and is that why you decided to move away from home so young? You were 14 when you moved away from home, right? Yeah, well, see, the, the reason is uh, I, the house, we lived in a three-bedroom house, and the youngest of us, like I was one of the younger ones, we had to sleep crossways of the bed, three and four of us crossways of the bed. No inside facilities, we'd go out, out to the outdoor toilets. And uh, <laughs> toilet paper, we had Mount Cumber Ward catalogs and Sears Robot catalogs. That was our toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, people wouldn't believe the kind of life that we we led, any anywhere to survive, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, and I said to my mom one day, I said, "Mom, I can't. I, I'm so ashamed of this house, and I can't live here any longer. And I want to go away and, and make some money, and it gets you out of here too." That must have been incredibly difficult for you, and saying that to your mom, and and. How did, you know, what what were you feeling at that time? Dad wanted me to stay home on the farm. And Mom said, Dad, I bring up what I talk about that somewhat. Uh, he wants to get, he wants to go to school and he wants to get ahead in life. And, and we got to let him do it. And uh, so when she said something, Dad would listen to it. And so that's how I walked to school and got in class. I'm sorry for the breakdown here. No, it's, it's it upsets great. me when I talk about my no. mom. I can only imagine what that conversation must have been like to, to say to your parents, I need to do this to better myself and, and go on with life. And get them moving out of that home. I said, I can't stand living here, and I, and I can't let people in the house, and I can't stand you living here either. I wanted to go home and uh, my, I had in my mind I was going to be in sports and either play. I played a lot of sports and I could, I could either play, either go play football or play baseball, uh, and uh, and make a living at it. And then I could get some money to get them out of the home. Yeah. But I, through high school, uh, I kind of changed my mind. I got into ag school, and I got some great teachers. I remember Kurt Preto said when we for our first one in his class, he says, "I want you to remember this: there's so much good in the best of us, and so much bad in the worst of us, that little behooves any of us to do anything wrong to the other, uh, the rest of us." And he said, "I want you to remember that," which, which I did. It put stuck in my mind. So tell me about coming to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You decided to get a degree in agriculture, but you also were able to play football here. Tell us about, you tried out for the football team, right? Well, when I tried out, I, I was in Dodgeville. I was living in Dodgeville at that time, but the Middle Point Fair, I always went to. But then they had, had a, a, a weight thing where they ring the bell. So nobody could ring it, and I'm big shot. That's the big shot deal here. I, I, I walked up and I, well, I rang the bell and pulled both clavicles out. Oh, no. And I went to the doctor in, in Middle Point, and he put me in slings and said I had to wait for at least 
two or three weeks. Then I, I had to walk back to Dodgeville, back to, to, to go to the University of Wisconsin. I got to thinking, I can't go there like this. I said, I thought, well, they won't let me back on the team if I tell them I've got broken camera. So I took them out and I went out and I practiced with, with uh, two broken collarbones. You're trying to try out for the team, and the and the coach must have. Did he catch they, on to what was going on? They, they came to me. They said, "Chuck, you know what? You're you're just." They took an X-ray and found out they weren't even healed. They said, "You're gonna you you've got a lot of ability, and you're you're just ruining it. You got you you could get a really get ahead in life, in sports." And he said, "You're just ruining your chances." He said, you got to lay off, let this heal. Well, I, I did lay off for, for a while, and, and uh, they started to heal pretty good, but it was too late for me to go out for football uh, at that time. But they had cross-country, and I'd won the mile, cross-country meets, you know, and one guy come up to me and said, Chuck, he said, we got to meet this week. But if you're running this, uh, this isn't going to bother your shoulders. You're running this, uh, and maybe we'll make the track to make the tra track team. Uh, you know, I, did, I ran so hard out there, I wore blisters out of the bottom of my feet, and that was the end of my track running. <laughs> and then, then the war came on. And that's when you decided to enlist in the Navy, right? It was 1944, right? Is that correct? Right. And so you served on the USS West Virginia, which was right. a battleship, right? When I went to get on there, they asked if anybody had physics and chemistry, and I raised my hand, which sometimes I wish I had now. <laughs> and they, tra they transferred me from fireman first class to hospital corpsman. And so I was, there was a guy by the name of Wilford Kepler. He was from Mission Center, Wisconsin. He was a lab technician there on the ship, and they and he had so many people he couldn't take care of them all, and then they wanted me to help him. So I was there for two weeks, and he got cat fever. And they shipped him back to Richardson Center, and here I am sitting there, nothing, only two weeks practice to give shots. I had mixed all the medicine for the crew and uh, give shots, and I learned it all out of the book. You're taking care of everybody. I was taking care of everybody on the ship. We're just a year away from the 75th anniversary of the Victory Over Japan Day. And I understand the West Virginia was docked next to the USS Missouri yes. when yeah. the uh, armistice was signed, yeah. right? We were waiting to attack the mainland, and we must have been there close to two months. Each day, we thought we were going to attack the mainland. Five days before the before the, the atomic bomb was set off, the battleship Missouri came out and pulled in right beside us. And it was right, right, right side by side. And I could reach, reach out and touch anybody on the ship, that ship, if I wanted to. But anyway, that's where the peace treaty was signed. And the battleship Missouri came out and anchored beside us. Then General MacArthur came on there and he was the big shot then. And a bunch of big shots from Japan, they signed the peace treaty and ended the war.
Battleship Missouri, 53,000-ton flagship of Admiral Halsey's Third Fleet, becomes the scene of an unforgettable ceremony. Concluding the brief history-making ceremony, General MacArthur expresses a wish. Let us pray that peace be now restored to the world and that God will preserve it always. The Japanese officially surrendered to the Allies on September 2nd, 1945. So you were there right when all that was happening. You were literally next to the Missouri as they signed the peace treaty. I was. So when you came back to Wisconsin after the war and... Thank you for your service. Thank you for being a part of the, the greatest generation. Um, you came back to Wisconsin, and you your senior year, you made varsity football squad, right? Yeah, I mean, it was my senior year when I, uh, in the spring, uh, it was Ivy Ribson, and the, the, the thing about Harry Struder, uh, he, he had an offense that was very hard to run. It was all right for pros and stuff, but his offense was was run so hard it was difficult for us to tell who we were going to block and who we weren't supposed to block. And we'd often get uh, plays didn't work. Ohio State's Buckeyes, knocked out of the undefeated class last week by Minnesota, traveled to Madison, Wisconsin in an effort to renew their bid for the Big Ten title. This is a crucial game for both teams so far as the 1949 Big Ten Championship is concerned. A capacity crowd of 45,000 spectators jams Camp Randall Stadium. Now in the fourth quarter, here's Wisconsin trying. Petruska's going to throw a pass. It's intercepted by Widows of Ohio State. And here's a good run back by Widows to the Wisconsin 24-yard line. We had a bad season, a bad season. And they all started yelling, goodbye, Harry, goodbye, Harry, in the stands. And we were so hurt by that, you know. So you graduated in 1950, and you actually had an offer to play for the Packers. They were, the Green Bay Packers were scouting you, right? I got an offer to try out because you you had to try out. uh, And they wanted me to try out. But the, the thing about it was that I was then had that job with Oscar Mayer, and I was I could see I could make a lot more money and, and do what I wanted to do with my folks and everything by making money, buying cattle. I, I could see there's a lot more possibilities. A best lineman would would make a thousand to two thousand dollars a year playing playing for the Packers, and so I declined that. No regrets on that. No. None tall. This episode of Thank You 72 is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alumni Association. When you become a member of the Wisconsin Alumni Association at uwalumni.com slash membership, you'll be where Badgers belong. This special community is all about strengthening your connection to the UW, celebrating beloved traditions and supporting alumni efforts. And with a variety of exclusive benefits, membership is a great way to give your Badger spirit a boost. Visit uwalumni.com slash membership today to learn more and to join the Wisconsin Alumni Association as a proud member. Now back to the Thank You 72 podcast with Todd Pritchard from the Wisconsin Alumni Association. 
I'd like to bring in Chuck's daughter, Renee Halverson Wright, into the conversation. And Renee, uh, first of all, great job on writing the book about your dad's life. And I'd like to talk to you more about the book. It's called Running Country Roads, Life Lessons Learned. First of all, how did you come up with that title for the book? Because my father had to run country roads to go to school, and um, that was his only way to get to school was by running. So I found, you know, the more that I, you know, talked with my father, and I've heard many, many um, stories of my father's, but when we really dug deep, I realized, you know, what he went through, and I just, you know, was amazed at how many places he had to live to, you know, get to go to school, and it was always about him having to run. Basically, he said I was running for my life, and that's kind of why I came up with the title. Well, you have so many great stories in the book. Is there a favorite one or two that you'd like to share? He, they didn't have shoes. My father was, they were always barefoot. And my dad didn't want to wear shoes because they were always hand-me-down and they didn't fit him right. I think his white boots story is one of my favorites because he was so embarrassed to wear them that he put them away and they didn't fit him. These were white boots that were hand-me-downs, right? Yes, actually there was an aunt that had, I guess it was a boarding house in Chicago, and she would occasionally, things people would leave things behind. And so she would send clothes. And for them, you know, they'd get these boxes and they'd be excited because new clothes for them. But they didn't always fit. And the white boots, my dad just didn't want to wear them until it got so cold. And he'd have to bring the, the cows in, you know, in the wintertime. And his feet would get really cold. And, um, you know, sharing a story that his, his sister Alice said, I can't believe your dad admitted he stood in actual cow pies. And that's what hit, finally got him to wear those, the white boots. And he got teased about that, too. And he said, like, 94 years later, I still remember getting teased by being called Mr white boots. So those are the kind of stories that, you know, I realized what he went through um, as a kid just to survive and like, you know, having to live as a young boy in a hotel by himself and, you know, all these things just to get to go to school. It puts into perspective what people in that time had to do. In the Depression, it was all about surviving that time and especially with a large family. Um, I, you, you have to make do with what you've got. And so, but it's very hurtful, obviously. How many decades ago did you wear the white boots? It was, it must have been 70, 80 years ago, but it still resonates. How about 85, 85? <laughs> and well, and his mother, too, um, you know, they had a really long table and they talked about, um, his sister talked about how the house was always cold. So they would put plastic on the windows and they would even, you know, wallpaper the walls with newspapers and make their own paste because they couldn't afford wallpaper but they were very creative family i mean and during um breakfast they she would talk about um your sister alice would say you know it was always warm at breakfast because they had a stove and the, their mother would cook pancakes and oatmeal and they'd sit on this really long table they had very few chairs so it would be most of them would be sitting on benches but she spoke about her mother would never eat she stood until all the kids you know, had their food and her husband, and they'd say, come on, Mama, come sit down. And she would, she would never eat until they had food, and they weren't allowed to reach across the table ever for food. Um, so it, those are the kind of things that I heard, learned from my Aunt Alice, you know, about making little Christmas, you know, their decorations for their tree. Everything was off the land. 
and like what they'd find a little cigarette you remember in the the boxes of cigarettes they used to have the silver right, the foil they, they would boil and they would yeah. make stars yes. and things like that so it just kind of made it makes you think you know like what their his life was like and many who lived during the depression and made it all the way through that time and came to the university of wisconsin and now chuck is one of the oldest letter winners um that we have with us right yes yes and we just celebrated his 95th birthday september 20th at camp randall stadium on, at lot 17 and so that was you know and this book was my dad's 95th birthday gift so this was a big birthday for him well it was certainly a gift of love from you to him and it, it really captures his life and it's it's so well done and it's it's great to follow chuck's life through all this time and still a major badger supporter in fact you did a lot in the back in the what 70s 80s to really help the team out and do fundraisers and you know get them a lot of help which they needed at at that time we raised thousands of dollars for them. Yeah. Also gave it to churches and places like that, high schools. So, Renee, you were a professional cheerleader with the Chicago Bears, right? That's right. So your dad um, bought season tickets to the Bears game because of that. Despite the fact that you're a lifelong Packer fan, so that's true father-daughter dedication, right? That must have meant a lot to you for him to be at all those games. It really did. And I moved to, uh, you know, Evanston to study dance. And that was something that my my dream, and he always supported my dream. And um, dance and cheerleading through high school was what made me, you know, feel like that was my life. Like his life was sports. That was my life, too. And so um, at 19, I went to him like he went to his parents and said, you know, he would, would have loved for me to stay in Madison, of course, but he supported me with my dream. And so, you know, I eventually, after three years of studying dance with Gus Giordano, dance studio, I found out there was these cheerleading tryouts. I saw it on the news, and it was uh, for the Chicago Bears, not the Packers, but um, I thought it would be really fun and a great way to, like, maybe, you know, open some doors for me. So I did try out, and... Uh, at the tryouts, there were 1,500 girls with numbers. So uh, picking, and they only chose 28. And right after tryouts, I was like, oh my gosh, this is not gonna happen. And I flew to Florida, it was like spring break to meet a lot of my friends, you know, in Fort Lauderdale. And I thought, geez, you know, no way. But while I was there, there I had roommates, like there was like five of us living in one apartment. And they said, you get a letter here from the Chicago Bears. And I'm like, oh my God, don't, I don't even wanna know. I don't wanna ruin my trip. But I couldn't stand it, so I finally called them, and they read the letter that I had made it. And, of course, I called my dad right away. And, of course, he was going to bid every one of those games for me. And, yeah, and it meant a lot. I, I always knew because I'd hear, like, on the south end zone, my dad would, like, tell them my name. So I'd hear all this, like, hey, Renee, on the south end zone of Soldier Field. And it was my dad, you know. So, Chuck, tell me, what do you think is a life lesson that you gained over these years that we should all know? Well, the biggest life lesson I learned through my, a lot of them through my teachers and through people I worked with, was to be fair with everybody, no matter what you're doing, and never give up. If you 
whatever your desires were. And Renee, how about you? What's a life lesson that you learned from your dad? He taught me really how to love and what's important and what's not, and that everyone wears their pants the same way, and that just um, to appreciate the little things in life, like making a little star for a Christmas tree. And, um, you know, I think that's what I'm so proud of being his daughter. And <laughs> now we're both going to cry. But I just, you know, I've learned a lot. He taught me how to do my first back walkover. He was, you know, when I was competing in track, my father had me running behind the car at Governor Dodge State Park. And, you know, he was just always there for me um, throughout my life. And I just learned, like, you know, how, about being kind to everybody. And I think being kind and... Um, and always believing in your dream. You can find Renee's book, Running Country Roads and Life Lessons Learned, at Bucky's Locker Room at Camp Randall Stadium or on Amazon. Thanks for listening to the Thank You 72 podcast. For more interviews with amazing UW alumni, visit thankyou72.org. That's thankyou72.org.